breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. And welcome back to another episode of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always an honor to be with you, and especially on this Thanksgiving weekend. I hope you are enjoying family, enjoying turkey, whatever it is uh, you are cooking this weekend, and uh, enjoying the blessings, especially for those of us in the United States. uh, Blessed to be free, blessed to be in the, I think, the most vibrant democracy in the world, one based in an idea, an idea that we are thankful for this weekend, thankful for all those who've given the ultimate sacrifice, who've served this country and continue to serve their country abroad. God bless our leaders, our politicians, regardless of their stripe, because we are one country. We are one nation. And, you know, we I saw the president uh, visit our troops in Afghanistan. I'm reminded that regardless of all the noise and the derangement syndromes happening in, in Washington, at the end of the day, regardless of who the president is, When he visits our troops, it is a moment to a moment to be humble before the flag, before this country, and remember the great history that is the United States of America. And as we wind down our troop presence in Afghanistan, we're reminded that so many have served in an effort to keep us free. And we've stayed free. But as Reagan said, we're only one generation away from losing that freedom. And this weekend, we're reminded again. You know, on this program, you and I have, have uh, I've tried to address those areas that often, you may say, are not politically correct. But I actually, I, I don't like that term. I think that ultimately it's about being frank, being open, being honest, addressing the issues that need reform, that need to be confronted. And this weekend, we we woke up to news that another ISIS attack had occurred in London, on London Bridge. Again, an icon, a monument that represents Western freedom had seen an attack. And this attack reminds us a few things, and I'll get to some of the details of this of this Usman Khan that appears to be the perpetrator, the radical militant Islamist that completed this yet another act of radical militancy. We're reminded that even despite the death of al-Baghdadi, as the heads of the Hydra continue to replace itself, we're reminded that radical Islamism continues to grow. Jihadism, the ideology and the consciousness of caliphism, the caliphate, those who want to bring back the caliphate, the, the triumphalism of caliphism, will continue no matter how many losses they suffer, no matter how defeated they are, they can never lose in their mindset because they are seeking an afterlife of presence in heaven, of the divine. So how do you defeat that? How do you defeat that? 
It's very difficult to defeat, ladies and gentlemen, because we are simply whacking the mole wherever it pops up. We are not providing an alternative message, an alternative message that we are offensively penetrating into the consciousness of Muslims to replace that vacuum in their mindset. Why do they have a vacuum? Well, the vacuum is because the dictators, the military societies of Assad, of Saddam Hussein, of Gaddafi, of all of the monarchs, left them with no sense of national identity. And if there is national identity, it's a national identity of racism, of Arabism, of fascism. And that's not one that often the human spirit will want to latch on to. The human spirit wants to latch on to that which allows them to be individually free that allows them to be themselves. That's what the Arab Spring was initially about, and then degenerated, devolved, rather than evolved, devolved into a competition of Islamists. But this guy, Usma Khan, his case this weekend reminds us of all the levels of horrifically incompetent, horrifically weak surrender our governments in the West have had. The perpetrator was arrested before, ladies and gentlemen. He was arrested in 2012 for being part of the plot of the London Stock Exchange plot in which he had plotted to kill rabbis, to kill Mayor Johnson, to kill government leaders, and others. Yes, he was arrested, convicted, and then the judge in his sentencing said that these jihadists, including Usman Khan, are lethal, they're dangerous, and they should not be let back on the streets. And even if they seem to be rehabilitated, they probably are not. This is what he said in 2012. He gave them 16 years. Well, wait a minute. You do the math, and this guy should have been in jail. The Court of Appeals quashed the sentence. The Court of Appeals in the UK quashed it and decreased the sentence to eight years. And last year, he was out on probation at six years with a tag, with an ankle bracelet. And do you know where Usman Khan was out and about near the London Bridge? The people he killed, by the way, are two delegates to this conference, the Learning Together Conference at Cambridge University, learning together about how to de-radicalize, how to counter-radicalize, how to rehabilitate militants. I I kid you not. And it's too horrific to be a joke. Two families lost their loved ones. Another one is, is horrifically injured. And this militant was released because of so many pathologies. In today's podcast, I I want to tell you about the three levels of failure. Three levels of failure that we have failed in our strategy against militant Islamism. And the Usman Khan case will continue to bear this out. Before I get to these levels of failure you realize that the court system in the UK and elsewhere view this as a crime problem. They're not looking at it as a militant, terroristic 
problem. They're looking at it as a crime problem, not a war in which these radicals are seditious traitors that often deserve the death penalty. That's the way to address when your country is at war and militants commit acts of terror. It's not a crime just because they decided to commit an act of, oh, domestic violence. This was an act against the state, against the citizenry, and it should be received as such. Same thing with the ISIS brides. Do we really have a debate about whether they should be convicted of treason? If they're citizens, yeah, they should be let back in. And hats off to the judge in the United States that did not let that last popular ISIS bride that was given horrific celebrity status by NBC and others that interviewed her and and uh, she said she wanted to return because of her child, etc. Well, you made some horrific choices, ISIS radical. And the judge ruled that she was not a citizen. Why? Because her father was a diplomat. Diplomats do not have children that become anchor babies, that become citizens because they're born here. And he ruled that she was not a citizen. Now, the judicial judicial system in the UK leaves a little to be desired as far as it's dealing with radical Islamists. Oh, and Sadiq Khan, the mayor of London, today said he was just putting troops out. This guy was acting alone. He was just putting some, some police presence out to make Brits feel more comfortable. No commentary from Mayor Khan about the failures, the surrender, the incompetence in which a guy supposedly being tracked and monitored was missed in his militancy and his desire to commit an attack. And how about the soul-searching that has to be done at this rehab educational program? You know, I, I wanted to talk to you about this today because for the love of God, enough with the with the popularization of former radicals. All these former radicals are now running departments in various universities because they are experts, because they became radical. Never mind that the drug they used, just like, you know, you listen, I get it. The former, you know, former drug users can teach very much from the soul about what it is to use drugs, but this is far more complicated than simply cocaine or heroin or former alcoholism alcoholism this is this is about an ideology and unless they are promoting an an idea that is an anathema to militant islamism as long as we approach this that it's just oh they were just violent and terroristic and they are against the method unless they talk about the 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 ends unless they talk about why they see americanism being british being German as being the solution, there's still a liability. And over and over again, I have been proven correct on this approach. None of the Islamists that abandon Islamism, become pro-secularism, pro-liberty, pro-freedom, have been shown to become radicals again. While the, And again, most of the time, the former radicals cannot be trusted and they should not be given positions of leadership or advisory positions in teaching at Cambridge, let alone any university. It's idiocy. It's sheer idiocy. 
And how many times does this need to happen? How many times? A couple years ago in the Christmas vehicular jihad, we had a guy who was in prison in Italy for four years, a Tunisian, that then was released and went to Germany. Germany let him in. And he commits the vehicular jihad, killing a number of innocent souls as part of an ISIS attack. Was he radicalized in prison, before prison? It doesn't matter. Yes, many of them are radicalized in prison because of the gang mentality, because of the cultish, and because the imams that are teaching them in the prison system are pretty radical, are pretty Islamist, pretty Wahhabi in their approach, separatist, and believe in some type of Islamic state. They believe in jihad. Yeah, this guy, Usman Khan, was supposed to serve 16 years, if not more. Come on, this is a war, ladies and gentlemen. This is a war. And we're releasing these guys out in the streets within six, seven years? With an ankle bracelet? And all they need to do to show that ISIS still has presence? Again, after this attack on London Bridge, the ISIS channels were were abuzz with new recruits. This is how the warp mentality is that once an attack takes place, once an attack takes place, it means they've succeeded. The triumphalism has a very low bar. This is not a military versus military conflict. This is a consciousness of a mentality in which if they put us on the defense, then they've won. You don't see us promoting the offense of the ideas of pro-Americanism into the Islamist media. We should be all over Al Jazeera, all over Arabic televisions, social media, talking about the defeat, the annihilation of ISIS and the advancement of liberal societies, the advancement of free thinking, the equality of men and women, free speech, the ability to criticize Islam as a faith. That should be an idea that Islam doesn't have rights, that we reject the term of Islamophobia. Imagine a campaign across the Middle East by Western media that told Arab Muslims and Muslims around the world that we can criticize Islamic ideas. We can criticize theological interpretations of Islam that are draconian and non-compatible, incompatible with modernity. That would get them a little angry, but it would be the beginning of reform. So what are the three elements right now that we learn from this London Bridge attack? Failure after failure after failure after failure. What are they? First of all, let's lump them into three major groups. Number one, the known wolves. This is a known wolf. And there have been so, so many. Almost every one of these that we find are attacks of people that have been known to be radicals. But somehow we're let free. We say, well, this is the price of a free society. We can't just start imprisoning people. Are you kidding me? These are Islamists that are at war with us. If they declare allegiance to ISIS, then they have abandoned their citizenship. They should have their citizenship stricken 
from their identity through a legal process, through a legal process in which if they show allegiance to ISIS, they have done by they have thus by default rescinded their citizenship. So number one, areas of failures are those that we know, the known wolves. Whether they're arrested, whether they've been jailed, whether they've been tracked, whether we monitor them because of their social media presences, whatever it might be, the known wolves we're treating too loosely and not aggressively enough. They should fear us. They should be living in horror that they are not in prison if they aren't. And also we should be giving them longer prison sentences for deterrence perspective and for the ease of monitoring in which we are in a state of war. That's the number one failure. Number two, what about those we don't know? That's the ones we know. What about the ones we don't know? So the number two group of failures are the ones we don't know. What am I talking about the ones we don't know? Well, the Islamists, those who are ideologically upstream, the large pool, the large pool that in the drain at the bottom of the pool drains down into the militant Islamists, But in that pool swimming is the upstream ideology of nonviolent political Islam, the quasi-separatist mentality that, well, we are foreigners. This society is is not as moral as Islam. It's a hedonistic, rejectionist society. But we are coming here to evangelize, to do da'wah, to bring our faith of, of Islamism to them. And we will reign supreme because we will initially win on the Islamist countries, the 56 Muslim-majority countries, and we will put the West on its knees in weakness and withdrawal in defense. And then the ones we don't know, this group, the second group that we don't know, they are doing the teaching. They're doing the training, ladies and gentlemen. This is a group that has led to the failure. Let's look in Britain. Britain had a group called CAGE, C-A-G-E, an organization that had been dedicated to, had been formed by a guy called Beg that was a previous Guantanamo Bay prisoner that had basically said all of the prisoners in Gitmo were were fakely imprisoned and and should not have been imprisoned, that this was a Western anti-Islamic pogrom, whatever you want to call it. And who did they use for some of their lead icons? When Yemen had Olaki, Imam Olaki, the, the guy who declared war in America, Yemen had him in prison, was released in 2007. Cage then used him as a mentor called him a beautiful person just as they called the beautiful person Hamzawi Hamzawi the 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 masked Brit that was the ISIS spokesperson and leader they also used him as that now you see how this is a militant group no Cage was providing advice was providing counterterrorism training to the British government I kid you not So I say the ones we don't know, we know who they are. But we don't know because they're not advocating openly terrorism. They're pretty darn close as far as I'm concerned. They ultimately ended up working with Olaki, who they then tried to distance themselves from once he became militant and put videos out that he wanted to declare war on America, etc. 
And then now the Brits have revealed that they are, the last few years, have rejected CAGE as a, as a legitimate organization, but they've not reoriented their mentality. Prime Minister Cameron had talked about muscular liberalism and the need to advance liberal ideas. Yeah. And yet the partners that the government's been using have been horrifically squishy, moderate on, oh, let's just be nice to the Muslim population to tell them that we love them and and we want to integrate them and assimilate them. Let's not have them feel they're being targeted. Let's not deal with the Islamophobia. God, I hate that term. It's a term invoked again, I'll remind you, by the by the. Arab governments, the monarchs, in order to prevent criticism of the president and criticism of Islam and invoke blasphemy laws. So they use it in the West because if you're critical of Muslims, then you must be an Islamophobe and you can't criticize Islam. No, the term is anti-Muslim bigotry if you're talking about bigotry. Don't use the term Islamophobia, but the groups like CAGE are the ones that propagate these terms and use it as a focus. So the orientation of these groups, the second groups, those we don't know, those providing advice. Yes, we've had the growth of reformist groups like Quilliam Foundation, who we work closely with, with Majid Nawaz, Usama Hassan, Hassan Rafiq, and these groups ultimately are trying to get more traction. They're beginning to get more traction, but they should be the dominant mentality, the one based in the advancement of of liberalism and in in fighting anti-Semitism and the belief that Western ideas are preferable for every human being, including Muslims. But no, those providing advice is the second major failure. The Muslim Brotherhood groups, the Islamist groups that are down upstream, that are in that pool that some militants head down into that drain, but the most of them swimming in that pool are Islamists that are being used by the government. That's the second failure. So the third failure, we talked about the ones we know, the ones we don't know but are being used to train, and third, the ones coming in the refugees, the immigrants that we that we do not vet. Yes, I believe in I'm pro-immigrant, but they should be a tough filter against political ideas that are incompatible with Westernism. If you are an Islamist, you have no right coming to Britain. You have no right coming to Germany. You have no right coming to America. And I'll leave the Germans and the Brits to talk about what it means to be German or British But I can talk about what it means to be American. And the American mentality is one of a social contract based in the separation of powers. The belief in the defense and the protection of the U.S. Constitution against enemies foreign and domestic. That is what I swore to as a citizen and as an officer in the U.S. Navy when I served for 11 years. And I don't want anyone coming into this country that doesn't believe in the same primacy of those loyalties and we should have a vetting system now is it going to be foolproof no but right now we have none i'm not talking about it being foolproof i'm talking about the fact that right now we have no system no system at all for vetting it 
So when you look at the immigration vetting system, that is our third failure. We've seen this family, Osman Khan, family from Pakistan, he was actually illegal initially. And I don't know all the details, but all I know is that the reports so far show that he initially was not legal. So all the layers, this case has every layer of problems of failures, immigration problems, previous known wolves that we do not, are not aggressive enough, not not containing them enough, not monitoring them enough. And then the training programs includes militants like this that are not de-radicalized, that are not reformed, they are masquerading. So you say, why would a guy who is not reformed be involved in training? It's called counter-espionage. It's a mechanism to conceal who you are by, by, by being a part of the opposite, the opposite mentality. Nobody will think that you're... Look at the most notorious American spies. The Walker family were Soviet spies, and they hid in KKK neo-Nazi fascist organizations in America, even though they were far, far left Soviet agents. This is a constant, a constant mechanism that traitors use. And the Islamists will often join, as much as they're ISIS, they will join opposite organizations in order to conceal who they are. So let's review again, ladies and gentlemen. The London Bridge attacks, another attack of ISIS. ISIS just took credit for it. This weekend, they're continuing to try to increase that consciousness of caliphism. And the Usman Khan case will highlight three major failures. Number one, the known wolves, those that we know as Patrick Poole coined. You know, there's that old term, there's, there's that old term, lone wolf supposedly meaning that they're all alone and just self-radicalized, a term that's complete BS. They're not self-radicalized. They're part of an ideology that's global. But those known wolves, those known wolves are not only a liability, but we are doing very little to protect ourselves from them. Is it possible? This is not just about cocaine or drug use. This is a national security threat. Imagine if they had a dirty bomb. Imagine if these people were able to get weapons in which they could do mass destruction. Do you think our approach would change? I think it would. So why don't we approach it that way now so that we can strike fear into their hearts? so that we can be really in a position of war, which is what we are, versus a position of approaching it like a crime. So what are the three areas that we're failing that I hope we can, through embracing organizations like our American Islamic Forum for Democracy, this podcast, reform this, and organizations like the one in Britain, Quilliam Foundation, that are trying to do good work to counter the militancy. We need to better track those that are known wolves that have been arrested, jailed, and being tracked right now. The tens, thousands, 
that are already in that category. Number two, those that we don't know but are part of the Islamist insurgency, the ideology that's anathema to Western society, the Muslim Brotherhood groups that should have no business training our security agencies, our media, and others into what really Islam is, what the Muslim population believes, whether we need reform or not, how do we get there, what are the ideologies that need to be addressed, Wahhabism, etc. If you listen to the Mahdi Hassans that's on CNN or the Shadi Hamids that is in Brookings, you will hear an apologetic that minimizes, minimizes the threat of political Islam and maximizes the, the, the liability of Western aggressiveness. And as Ilhan Omar calls it, imperialism. Sorry, no, the imperialism is Iran's imperialism, the Brotherhood's imperialism. That's the imperialism. But the propaganda is being distributed by Islamists and that group, that second group, those that we don't know but are part of the ideas that threaten us, they're an insurgency that we are not addressing, we are not focusing on, and we need to. And then the third group are those that we let in, that are coming in streaming, and Germany had a million in. You know, there was a video released by Turkish jihadists. And in that video were a number of jihadists that were known to have been in Germany for years. And then when Erdogan decided he was going to make a, 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 a forward imperialist move into Syria, and President Trump moved our troops over to give them the green light to go over and begin to slaughter the Kurds a few weeks ago. We talked about this on this program. When that happened, the video was shown of beheadings committed by Turkish jihadists, some of them previous ISIS and active ISIS, working with the Turkish military incursion. One guy was a German, was, was in Germany for a few years. And journalists... Journalists were openly reporting on the fact that it's clear that this guy had, in his Twitter account, taken pictures and shown video of him in Berlin and elsewhere, and now is proudly participating in the slaughter of Kurds as an ISIS operative. So when you talk about these countries, Germany, Britain, etc., welcoming Islamists, these refugees are for the most part, peaceful, wanting to escape torture either from ISIS or from Assad. But the bottom line is, is there is a significant number, be it 10, 15% that are Islamist, militant Islamists that are a threat to the populations that are there. We know this. We see it repeatedly. We've seen it in the Christmas vehicular jihad a few years ago. So many, so many examples of it. When are we going to start to vet them for ideas? Not only social media presence, but their ideas. So those are the three areas of failure. Will we learn? Will we develop a strategy? Will we have an offense in which we push the ideas to begin to counter the incompetence and surrender? Surrender. Instead of the violent extremist approach of simply the, the, the symptoms are we going to begin to counter Islamism, political Islam, as the pool, as the upstream idea to radical Islamism?
God bless the families of those who lost their loved ones this weekend and know that we are always doing our best to give back to this, not only America, but to Britain, to, to the West, to the lands of freedom that have set the standard, that have set the example of the type of societies we want to live up to. And may we also begin through tough love to begin to address the ideas of radical and political and militant Islamism that is breeding these radicals that will continue like a hydra and a snake to attack us until we develop approach to address the ideas that are radicalizing them and to do it from people that we trust, not from previous militants. I'm sorry, how about we just stop using previous militants who say they're reformed? I don't believe it. There's a guy, there's there's a number of guys that have proven I think, what's that other guy? There's a guy here in America, Jesse Morton or something, who who had some, uh, uh, um, was in jail, came out and started to do the think tank rounds and speaker circuit and then fell back into drugs and other issues and re-militancy. <laughs> and now he's back out. But he's the expert. He's the expert. Are we going to learn anything that the once they've proven it really is is the bench that shallow that we can't find any reformers? Uh, we've got a huge group in the Muslim reform movement of leaders ready to speak out. We don't need former radicals. Yes, there are a few that have proven themselves over years to be consistent, persistent, and on the side of freedom. But I'm sorry, ones that have only been out for a year or two, like this fake Imam Tawhidi. There's a number of former militants that we should just ignore. And somehow we think that that gives them credibility because they were on the other side and now they're on our side. In which war in history has America embraced? How many former Soviets did we embrace as, as, as proponents of American ideas? Prisoners of conscience from the Soviet Union, we certainly did, but not former Soviet apparatchiks. I don't remember doing that. But somehow with Islam, we love to embrace former radicals. Tell them to take a hike and go fix the site. I mean, Tawhidi was a previous Iranian cleric. Go, go back there. Why do it from here if you're a former militant? You haven't earned the, the time and the, and the clarity and the honesty of persistent reform in order to be given a platform. And we'll spend some other time talking about that guy. But there's so many examples, Jesse Morton and others, that have gone in and out of radicalism. And this guy now, Usman Khan. We have a lot of work to do. I hope you had a blessed Thanksgiving. Hug your families. God bless the United States of America. It's always great to be with you. We'll see you next week on Reform This. Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network.